You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic. Welcome to episode 171. And uh, Fran, it says reviews on here, but I don't know what that's about. Uh, I don't know what that's about either. All right, I, think gonna... it, I think it was a uh, a leftover from the last podcast we or, did. Or we is, yeah, I think, or is it a teaser for episode 170 that we're recording <laughs> tomorrow? And this is going to be yeah, after again. <laughs> Because <laughs> there was, we're a, recording out there of was order a big again. review update that happened. There was uh, a week or two ago. So I have a feeling that was just there from episode one sixty eight. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was me when I was yeah. begging and pleading for reviews. It, that's it what it was. It was. So I just didn't take it out. Anyway, so. we have a, a really interesting guest that uh, takes us off our little native plant track a little bit, but it's something native plant uh, adjacent. It, it takes us off the native plant track, but puts us on the healthy planet track. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, it yeah. ties in that way. Yeah. So Good thing we, we put both of those in the title of the yeah. podcast. So, yeah, we have <laughs> someone here from TerraCycle. So, Eric, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about TerraCycle? Sure, absolutely. So my name is Eric Ascalon, and I'm the uh, Global Director of Community Development for TerraCycle. Uh, quick elevator pitch on TerraCycle. <laughs> TerraCycle is a... Um, We're based in Trenton, New Jersey, uh, New Jersey born and bred, Um, but we work in roughly 20 countries throughout the world. Um, And our mission, uh, the the, the mission of TerraCycle is um, to eliminate the idea of waste. And uh, and what this means is that we come up with solutions to, uh, among our programs, we come up with solutions to recycle those things that are not traditionally recyclable. So TerraCycle doesn't deal in your uh, curbside recycled uh, bottles and cans and cardboard and, and so forth. We deal with everything but. Hmm. So, um, and in addition to uh, coming up with solutions, we have a staff of material scientists that, that play with materials, figure out how they can be recycled. So in, in addition to coming up with those solutions to recycle those materials, we work with consumer brands to integrate um, difficult to recycle materials into their packaging and products. And then we have some other very innovative uh, uh, teams and, uh, and divisions that we'll, uh, we'll discuss today that, that does just amazing things with, with waste. Yeah, it's awesome. You know, for me, living local to TerraCycle's headquarters, I had mentioned before we went on air, like my children head toward the, the facility back when they were in, in – cub scouts and i knew of TerraCycle because we had the products on our shelf at home yeah uh so and it always just felt like a local business to us which it is but then all of a sudden time goes by you take a look and it's like oh this is this is global it is it (laughs) is this this is global so how how did if we could just start for our listeners because we have listeners all over the world too Mm -hmm. that maybe aren't familiar with TerraCycle, just how did TerraCycle begin, and how did that journey kind of get to today? Sure. So um, our, our founder, Tom Sackey, 
um, was a, a student at Princeton okay. nearby. Um, and then while he was a student, he um, he created a, a company, I, I believe, out of his dorm room to um, to package and to create and, and, and package worm food, worm poop fertilizer. Okay. I don't know if there's a technical yeah. name yeah. for worm poop <laughs> fertilizer, but but th- I like that term. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, so he, he, he created the compost and then, and then packaged it. And when he was looking um, to create the packaging for his products, rather than um, create new packaging, which necessitated mining for virgin materials, which in the case of plastic is, of course, petroleum. Um, he uh, he wanted to utilize uh, existing repurposed uh, bottles from uh, from beverages. Um, so he uh, he kind of created a, a network of, of collections for uh, for repurposing of of. Uh, of these beverage containers to utilize for the worm poop fertilizer. And um, he, he, mark, he, he marketed and sold these products wholesale to uh, nurseries, to all kinds of uh, uh, stores. And, um, and over time, he, he really, um, the emphasis changed from the worm poop to the actual packaging. And uh, he became very interested in, um, in trying to develop solutions for, um, for uh, on both reuse and and recycling of things that traditionally could not be recycled, so that's you know, over time um, he he outgrew his Princeton dorm and um, the, the company <laughs> relocated uh, to Trenton, uh, where uh, where we've been uh, ever since. And this was you know the the company was first founded roughly uh, I think twenty years ago. Wow. Now, so yeah. Do you, you don't mind? Do you, do you feel like you wasted your time at college now? Oh yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't start anything. <laughs> but, you didn't start a global business? No, no, no. As a, a very basic question, um, what are some examples of some of the things that you will recycle that aren't traditionally recycled? Absolutely. Wow. So there, there are so many. I mean, there are little, literally you know, dozens and dozens of waste streams that we have programs for. And if there aren't programs for it, um, we can come up with a solution mm-hmm. for it. But um, some examples, and uh, uh, some of these I'll talk about in more detail later, um, you know, every, everything from kind of, um, you know, multi-layered materials, uh, materials that are uh, products that are yeah. of a of a size, of a shape that cannot be recycled through traditional, um, you know, traditional recycling lines. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some examples are, you know, flexible film packaging, things that are multi-layered, such as like your, um, your, your flexible drink pouches, yeah, okay. your... Um, uh, wow, we have programs for uh, for pots and pans. Oh, we wow. have programs for um, you know, my my favorite, which I'll go into detail later. Mm-hmm. Is we have a cigarette butt recycling program. Uh, I like we, the sound we can of that. Recycle gum. Um, uh, you know, wow, contact lenses <laughs> and contact lens cases. Um, there, there are just uh, you know so many programs. We have programs for for things like rub, Rubbermaid containers. Um, you know, sport nutrition packaging, mm-hmm. chip packs, um, and we do this all you know, on a on, really on a global scale. So, um, wow. you know, like I said, e- everything but you know those number ones and number twos uh, that that you can recycle curbside in the uh, yeah. aluminum cans. What, what I love where it started out as someone could have easily made their money and said, "This is my business," but it's continually like I see a problem. How do we fix that problem? Right. And and expand it to where it's at today. Like 
I first learned the TerraCycle, we had the worm poop fertilizer, and we bought it without knowing who TerraCycle was mm-hmm. and the fact that it was natural and in a recycled container. And that was the allure without us knowing. And then yeah. my kids through elementary school were doing the Capri Sun. Like my kids had the Capri Sun pencil holders, yeah. uh, pencil bags and and notebooks. Yeah. And like when they toured, they sent me a picture of um, – a suit made out of Dorito bags, <laughs> which was pretty amazing. Yeah, it, it's funny you mentioned the uh, the Capri Sun uh, packaging. Um, so uh, I, I've been I've been with TerraCycle now for a couple of years. Okay. Um, my wife is a uh, a first grade teacher in Burlington County in, in Cinnaminson, and uh, about a decade ago, she she came home, and this is before I knew anything about TerraCycle. Uh, she came home with a bag of Capri Sun packages. And she, I'm, I'm like, what's this? She's like, I'm collecting these. I'm like, yeah, we're, we're getting all our classrooms together and we're, we're, we're collecting these. I'm like, what on earth for, right? <laughs> and then she told me there was this, this, this company in Trenton called TerraCycle and they're, they're recycling these things and they're also making really cool things out mm-hmm. of it. And that's, that's how I first heard about, uh, learned about TerraCycle. It's through the, the Capri Sun program. And, um, and I started doing some reading on the company, and I said, "Wow, that sounds like such a, a cool place." Uh, and 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 you know, I said, I'm, and, "And I've been watching it ever since, <laughs> waiting for the right opportunity." <laughs> you know, to what I love also, and we keep men- mentioning Trenton, New Jersey. So if you're not from this area, Trenton, New Jersey has at one point was a thriving yes. thriving city with a lot of business, um, and it kind of moved away a lot of much like a lot of other cities, Camden. Things like that. So it's almost like recycling that building, bringing a new start to that city, which was a great – even the way it's it's decorated with – I don't want to say graffiti, like like street art. Yeah. Um, brings a whole different vibe. And it was – like now we're seeing that's becoming a little bit more fashionable. Mm-hmm. By, um, yeah. our, our customers, Princeton Hydro, mm-hmm. uh, just uh, redid the Roebling building. Um, and moved in there. I don't know if they did it, but they they moved into yeah, a remodeled yeah. Roebling building, and it's just nice to see, like almost like a a renaissance or, or or a new start for Trenton, New Jersey. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's when when you come to um, when you come into Trenton, and you, you you'll see this at night because it's lit up. But there's the the bridge that crosses the Delaware River in Trenton, and it and it says what what Trenton's longstanding motto was: Trenton makes the world takes. And that was when, you know, during the heyday of, of Trenton as kind of an, an industrial power. Uh, of course, you know, in the surrounding area with, with Roebling, I mean, that's where all the, the steel was manufactured for the, uh, for the uh, you know, Brooklyn the great Bridge. suspension bridges. Brooklyn Bridge, yeah, I Brooklyn think. Brooklyn Bridge yeah. and, and such. And uh, so Trenton was absolutely, it was an industrial powerhouse. And then over time, um, you know, that, you know, it, it, the, the city decayed and it's kind of like, uh, the, you know, the mission of TerraCycle is almost, you know, it's almost like the kind of the next step for, for, for Trenton, um, you know, f- from industrialization, from Trenton makes the world takes to, you know, Trenton takes, what the you know, and recycles <laughs> yeah, what, the world, yeah. what the world makes, right? I love that. So, uh, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and, and in, in, in terms of our, you know, our building, our headquarters are just so, so unique. It's, um, 
It is our, our headquarters are completely trashed, you know, so to speak. Yeah. It's um, the you know the, the the desks are made of repurposed uh, doors. The uh, you know the there's uh, it, it's just filled with all kinds of innovative ways mm. of upcycled trash sculptures everywhere. Um, and and like you mentioned, graffiti art, you know, street art decorates both the in, inside of the building. And and the exterior of the building, and uh, every year there's a a, a, a really well known um, uh, graffiti artist uh, named Leon Rainbow, who's from Trenton, and uh, every year um, he, uh, he he together with TerraCycle put on uh, this uh, this great event called the, uh, the the Jersey Fresh Graffiti Jam, oh, and mm-hmm. um, it is it is a kind of a, an event where we have. Uh, Leon will be there, you know, teaching people um, how to how to create graffiti art, and um, and we have uh, hip hop music musicians playing. There's food, um, and it's just a great event. It's every it's every August, and here let me let me see. Oh, we got to be coming um, up soon. Then. Yeah, it's let me let me just uh, check my calendar really fast and see. Um, it's funny you bring that up, and I don't know why. Do you, do you I know just, about it? I just saw something about this. Oh, did you? Uh, within the last week or so okay so So it is on um this year it's going to be on august 19th saturday all right so that's coming up uh yeah this will air tomorrow tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) yeah tomorrow when this airs so stop by our our headquarters at one TerraCycle uh way in trenton um and um and the jam will take place i i was you know the one of the questions we're going to ask and i'm kind of like I'm kind of going to make an assumption of one of the differences was how does TerraCycle differ from like local municipal recycling programs? And you kind of touch on it a little bit, but it seems as though – which a lot of businesses do well and some businesses don't do well is the recycling center gathers material and if there's an end user, it will go there. It sounds like you're, you're creating that end user a- ahead of time right. and working to – supply that user instead of saying we're going to do this we'll figure it out later you figure it out ahead of time and work towards mm-hmm. that goal yeah there's there's really a number of ways that we're, we're we're very different from traditional recyclers and 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 one is is the fact that we're dealing with the difficult to recycle materials and not the easy stuff and and really it's important to understand the the economics behind recycling to understand why things some things are recyclable and and, and other things are not the, the reality is that everything under the sun, almost everything under the sun, uh, can be recycled from a, a technical standpoint, right? We, we, we know how to do that, or we can come up with a way to do that. Okay, the reason things are, quote, recyclable versus not recyclable comes down to economics, okay? The reason that, for instance, I'll give you the example of the aluminum can, the reason that the aluminum cam is recyclable is because aluminum has a lot of value. Uh, it's very easy to collect. It's very easy to to move around and process uh, into new aluminum cans or new whatever, right? Yeah. So your municipal waste haulers, your municipalities, they love aluminum because at the end of the day, the the value of the material um, that that comes from recycling aluminum cans exceeds significantly the cost of collecting the materials processing the materials and recycling them into new into new things so that is why you know aluminum is recycled and it's largely the same for you know many types of plastic bottles and cardboard and things like that um, 
the things that TerraCycle deals with, um, the the economic equation is such that the the logistics, the cost of collections, the cost of processing um, into you know always exceeds the value of the material that's created. Now, um, you know there is some value to the material created, but it's 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 less than the cost of the process. So then the question is, well, then how do you do this? And how, you know, we are not a nonprofit. We are a, a, a for-profit mission-based company. Um, how do you make that work? Well, we make it work through a, a variety of different uh, business models. One is we go to the consumer brands that produce the waste streams and we say, hey, we have a means of recycling your product and your packaging, Right. Um, um, how would you like to fund these programs to, uh, to make that possible? Um, and so th- these are what we call our, our free programs because they're free for the communities that want to okay. participate, the individuals, the nonprofits. Um, they are funded by the brands. And, of course, the brands are not doing this. Well, in most cases, they're not doing this out of the kindness of their mm-hmm. heart. Mm-hmm. They're doing it because they're going to see a return on their investment. Um, they're going to see the goodwill. They use this, you know, in, in many ways, this is marketing for them. This is PR for them. Um, we leverage their need for those, you know, for, for positive, uh, for positive press, for positive, po- po- their, their need for, uh, for goodwill. We leverage that um, and, and, and get them to fund the costs of these programs, which is very important because, you know, there are a lot of great nonprofits out there that play a role in recycling, but that's not going to, that's not going to do it all. Yeah. There has to be a, an economic model. Uh, and, and in our case, it's, it's relying on the need uh, to leverage uh, the goodwill. And, and those relationships are important. I know this is kind of off topic, but I recently just watched a documentary about the gentleman who created the, um, the Segway. Mm. And he created uh, a machine called the Slingshot that cleans wa- any kind of water. It will take in any dirty, polluted water and put out pure drinking water. Mm. So he's like, this could save the world. You know, fifty percent of the deaths worldwide happen because of unclean or unsanitary drinking water. So he created this and then couldn't do anything with it because he's like, I don't have a, I don't have a way to distribute distribute it globally. What am I going to do? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. no one would. He went to the United Nations. Are like, we're pulling for you, but we don't do that. Well, yeah. And then he ended up collaborating with Coca Cola because I, they're like, oh, they do have a worldwide need and. With what happened in India with the, the cleanliness of taking their drinking water, mm-hmm. they had a need to, for good public relations, clean water globally. So they struck a deal where he created those machines you see in Wawa now where you put your cup in and you select which soda yeah. you want. He created that for them. They wow. distributed his water cleaning thing, mm-hmm. and it suited their needs. Like it yeah. was a good relationship yeah. because they need it. A, re, a ROI and yeah. good public. They needed to change their public yeah. perception. Mm-hmm. Look, the the problem uh, with with waste today is is far too big. The, the, the problem with with climate change and any any kind of environmental and ecological issue today is way too big um, to rely strictly on governments and um, and nonprofits. We we need to leverage um, leverage the the for profit sector. Yeah. We need to leverage the big brands. Um, you know, and and it is you know it, you're you know you're you're not you're not compromising your ethics and morality by doing the right thing by by forcing um, by by putting pressure on 
um, consumer brands to do the right thing. Yeah. And that's, you know, at the end of the day, you know, that's, that's how we can succeed in, um, in, in the waste crisis and, yeah. and really in any global crisis. It, it, requires, it requires leveraging yeah. the, the need for, for goodwill. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things I found really interesting in, in going through your company's information was that not only may you go to a corporation and say, we found a way to recycle your product – I've noticed through Loop, it's we found a way for you to get rid of this product that yeah. maybe you can't recycle or we can't recycle. Could you talk about that program uh, a little? Absolutely. Bit? So, so Loop, you know, it's our, it, it's it's funny. Our our our, our founder Tom um, has has said time and time again, and I think you know, uh, I, I, I certainly agree, uh, and, and as do probably most people in the industry, that recycling is not the solution to our waste crisis. Mm-hmm. Recycling is. In a, in a sense, a Band-Aid. It, it, it is, um, it is in, a sen- in a sense, a tourniquet. But it, it is ultimately recycling is a solution to the symptom, to, to, you know, to the symptom of the mm-hmm. problem. Um, ultimately, the, the problem that we're facing today is you know, the result of our insatiable need for convenience. And um, you know, single-use plastics really came about largely post-war, post-World War II, in the 1950s, um, they, they were this incredible convenience that, you know, uh, if you look at the early advertising, um, there's, there's a great um, Life magazine somewhere in the 1950s had, a, uh, had a, an article on, um, on plastic, and it celebrated plastic as this great thing, and it's, th- and it's, an, it's an image that shows this family standing here with just totally surrounded by by, <laughs> yeah. by, by plastic packaging, yeah. plastic containers, plastic bottles, you know, uh, you know and, and they're throwing it in the air celebrating. Now, we, lo- we would look at that image today. We do look at that image today and say, my God, they're in a trash heap. But, but that, this was a time when, um, you know, when, when, when plastic was celebrated as this revolutionary thing that can make our lives easier. And it, you know, and it, it did make our lives easier, but, but not without a cost. You know, Loop um, is, is a division of TerraCycle dedicated to reuse. And, you know, the idea here is if you think about the milkman of, you know, prior to the 1950s, prior to the, the plastic revolution, the milkman came to your house and delivered you several quarts of, of, um, of milk in glass bottles. Those glass bottles were not owned by the consumer. Those glass bottles were owned by the manufacturer, by the dairy. Uh, the consumer paid a, a modest deposit um, for the ability to use those glass bottles. After the milk was consumed by the family, they'd leave it back on their front porch, and the milkman would come, pick it up. Those bottles were sanitized and, and, and reused, right? Um, this... Loop takes that kind of, uh, you know, it's, it's that on steroids, right? <laughs> with, you know, the idea is that, you know, we, we're, we're working with dozens and dozens of, of, of big consumer brands to make their packaging not recyclable, but reusable, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like the old milk, you know, yeah. like the milkman did in the 1950s and before. Um, so if you can imagine what Loop is, it's a platform where we work with, um, retailers with, with with supermarkets and all kinds of retailers we work with the consumer brands to make their packaging um, reusable 
So the consumer utilizing apps and QR codes can then um, make a purchase at the grocery store, but they're not purchasing the bottle. They're paying a modest deposit on the bottle, borrowing it for a limited time for its use. They can get all their loop products. They use them at home. And when they're done, uh, they bring back all their loop products, uh, their loop package products, which are a variety of brands, a variety of products, bring it back to any um, supermarket or retailer or public drop-off location that takes the loop products back. Uh, loop will in turn um, sanitize the packaging, distribute it back to the respective manufacturers where it's refilled with product. And, you know, it's a closed cycle on and on and on. And every cycle of that, you're, 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 pre- you're preventing the, uh, the, the generation of new, new packaging that's going to be used temporarily and thrown out. Um, when, when you think about, um, sadly, the life of a typical piece of plastic packaging, you know, you can go into a, a, a Wawa or 7-Eleven, you go to the tap, you fill up your soda with, uh, you know, in a plastic, uh, a plastic cup, you're probably guzzling down that soda. Uh, if you're like me, you're just going to chug it down in about 30 seconds. You know, sometimes you might nurse it for a little longer. But the whole life of that piece of plastic, it's served 30 seconds, right? Or maybe a few minutes. And then it's in our environment forever, right? So loop kind of negates the need for that. And it, it's remarkable. We, we've, worked, we've worked with, um, you know, we piloted programs in the U.S. with, with, with Burger King, with... Um, um, We've, the program has been very successful uh, in in Japan and parts of Europe, and it's being piloted on a on a grand scale now in the Pacific North, North Northwest, and in, uh, in at giant food stores. I in, saw like Haagen Dazs, the, the DC uh, area. Okay, all, all different yeah. consumer consumer goods, and and what's what's nice and an added feature of Loop is that you're not getting these you know from from both the consumer and mm-hmm. from the brand's perspective, you're not getting crappy little plastic (laughs) package. You're getting very elegant packaging, whether it's made out of, you know, a glass, a a superior uh, plastic that can be reusable time and time again or metal. So, you know, you can fill your cabinets with things that are are very elegant. Uh, The brands like this because, uh, you know, it it looks very elegant in the the packaging. And, you you know, it's not just going into landfill or or, or incinerated. It's funny. I'm I'm of the age where I remember – as a kid, the explosion of soda bottles. Like as a kid, I remember the glass soda yeah. bottles oh, yeah. and and or the cans, and then I remember the Pepsi and Coca Cola commercials where someone knocks the two liter bottle off the table and at slow motion everyone freaks out and then it bounces and it I was such yeah, it was yeah. such like a big deal. And I think it's funny that the guy who created that also was uh, for Dupont is the son of the artist N. C. Wyeth. And the brother to Andrew Wyatt. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Is that what? Quite a family there yeah. <laughs> between one one created art, the other one created the plastic bottle. But wow. um, it's yeah. just it, it was such such excitement over that. Like we don't have to worry about things breaking, but there was no thought of where yeah. what happens to this when you're done. You know, it's it's funny. Like not not too far from here. So TerraCycle employees, uh, of which. Uh, I should mention there's about there's about 200 of them in the Trenton area, and we have about another 300 at our offices, you know, throughout the world, other offices throughout the world. Well, all all employees at TerraCycle get VT, VT, VTO, so volunteer time off, so two days uh, two days a year 
we are uh, encouraged to go and, and do something for a uh, you know for a cause or or, or do something. And um, I I having having spent some time working working in the Pine Barrens for for, for nonprofits, which uh, I can get into later. But awesome. what I, I took I, I took a bunch of TerraCycle employees um, on a uh, litter cleanup trip uh, down along the uh, the Mullica River, uh, and we scouted out and uh, and and. Uh, Build up a trailer full of trash wow. that was out there. Um, you know, in really, really, we looked for really remote kind of areas of the the Pine Barrens, uh, and we found gla- We found those old glass two liter soda bottles. We found those old wow. big glass. You know, the giant glass mm. Gatorade bottles when they used to sell them in glass. Like we found things. You know, we found tons and tons of like pull tab, uh, you know, the old pull <laughs> yeah. tab soda or beer and yeah. soda containers. Like these things were from like 40, 50 years ago and they still persist in our environment. And yet their useful life was just a few minutes. So it is so important that we, yeah. we rethink all of this. It was just something I was thinking about over the last few weeks where how, how this is a new thing. Plastic is a yeah. new thing, but just I'm looking around the room and, there's very few things that don't contain plastic in them in right. the room we're sitting in right now. Right. Um, in fact, there's a book I've referenced a bunch that was called Plastic, and um, and it kind of talked a lot about this and how much single use plastic we use. And the woman set off to do a whole day where she didn't touch any plastic yeah. and lost when she hit the snooze button on her alarm clock and then <laughs> the door handle to go to the bathroom. And she's like, well, I'm going to write everything I touch that is plastic instead. And I, I forget how many pages wow. she filled up over the course of a day. But, um, but it's a, a new thing. This is, you go 50, 60 years back. This, right. it was completely different. You had the milkman dropping stuff off. Yeah. You were going to a store and it was getting wrapped in paper. And uh, it's just, but it has made our lives way more convenient, and no doubt. No you think doubt. about like a, you look at the economic effects. I'm sure that had for fast sure. food chains and your soda manufacturers. Right. They weren't able to do some of the stuff they're able to do now. Well, I think of the styrofoam packaging yeah. for burgers yeah. and things like but, that. But you 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 bring up mm. a, a good point. Like it has made our life more yeah. convenient. So the way to kind of uh, wean ourselves off it is to create programs that mm-hmm. are equally as convenient yeah. or you know as close yeah. as you can and that's why like with loop the idea is to make reuse uh, as easy as disposal mm-hmm. right and and that's the challenge right we, we all for, for 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 our environment for our ecology we all have to make a lift yeah. right we're, we're 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 too you know it's too easy to do the wrong thing we all have to make a lift um and there's some of us uh you know among us who will go through Everything like they'll 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 walk across town to do that lift, right? But you know, and that's great. But that's like the two to three percent of the champions of the environment. Mm-hmm. But in order to make it, you know, really work, it has to be something that many of us or the majority of us are willing to do, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where you know that that's where you have to make it convenient to recycle. You have to make yeah. reuse convenient. You know, it's I. You know, in here in New Jersey, um, I, 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 you know, just over a year ago in May of of, of twenty twenty two, we passed in New Jersey the um, single use plastic bag ban, and I remember leading up to it, 
they were, you know, the, the complaints, you know, you listen to like some talk radio station, and it was going to be the end of the world, New Jersey <laughs> yeah. requiring reusable bags. And it was like, oh, my gosh, you know, it's, it's, it's the end of the world here. You know, and everybody was, you know, not everybody, but there were so many people that were complaining about how this was going to destroy everything. And we're a year into the program. And you know what? Nobody's really complaining anymore. Yeah. I think people will occasionally forget to, to bring yeah. in their reusable bags. And, you know, I, I've done it, and I usually kind of, like, yeah. balance, yeah. balance yeah. 20 things on my hands as I go and bring it to the <laughs> car. Or, you know, you have the option of buying another reusable bag at the, at, at the market. But for the most part, this has been a, a great thing. And it, yeah. it, there's so much resistance to any of this, uh, you know, any of these new implementations. But once once they become, you know, once they're in place, they become second nature. Mm-hmm. And that's... I have some pretty great ring videos of me balancing things, trying to yeah. get in the yeah. door, like <laughs> three gallons of ice cream. And I'm like, but no, it's, you know, it became obvious to me, like, how many times I got a bag that I didn't need a bag mm-hmm. because it was one or two items. Uh, when we drive by the the local farm market, uh, it used to be the farm field after a busy day was just filled with yeah. plastic bags. Um and were they being used, just tossed it, or just yeah. blowing away? It's just the one thing I'm kind of shocked at that they haven't done like a deposit on a bag where you can bring your bags back. <laughs> you know, you, you can mm-hmm. take a bag for a deposit, kind of like a shopping cart at like an Aldi where you're yeah. putting a quarter in and getting your quarter. There, back. Are, there are certain programs like that that yeah. are being developed, um, you know, some, some yeah. privately, some in, in, in concert with, uh, with governments. Yeah. But yeah. I think that's, I think you're going to see that. Uh, yeah. That would be awesome. Speaking though. of the single use soda bottle that you're using for 30 seconds, a couple of minutes. If it's my wife, she's probably taking her like a couple hours to finish <laughs> <laughs> iced tea or whatever. But that would drive me nuts is you could just go to a Wawa convenience store and then so you'd get a bottle of soda and then they'd put it in a bag for you. So now it's like <laughs> right. two single use. I'm just all I'm going to do is take it out of the bag and then drink it. Yeah. And now I have these two things sitting in my car. And um, so we my whole family, we just stopped when you'd go to that kind of store. You just say, oh, I don't need a bag. Yeah. And what would what was really disheartening a lot of times is if they'd already started to take the bag off. They would just take the bag and then put it in the trash can next to them. Um, and like, well, yeah. and, and those, I like, might as well take the bag now because I'll yeah. use it at least one yeah. more time. And, and, the, but, and the bags are just like the, the single-use yeah. bags cause so many issues. Yeah. They, they, yeah. they were like one of the most common things that wound up in the blue recycling bin. Mm-hmm. And um, when you, you know, people, people think, you know, it's called wish cycling. Yes. Yeah. They see something plastic and they say, oh, that can go in the recycling bin. Yeah. But very often it, it, it does more harm and good and, uh, than good. And one of the things that would frequently wind up in the recycling bin and uh, now probably not in New Jersey anymore, but elsewhere is those is those um, single use bags. Mm-hmm. So they cause, uh, you know, they would cause all kinds of tangles oh, yeah. and put a wrench in the machine at the processors. But I but but they also for municipalities, they cause a lot of problems. There's there's a town, for instance, in um I think in um, in Montgomery or Delaware County, PA, just across the river, that wants to institute uh, a single-use plastic bag ban because so many of those single-use bags are clogging up storm drains. Oh wow! Uh, and causing all kinds of issues for uh, for wastewater management and things like that. Um, and again, they're getting resistance from from uh, from folks in the community. But you know, ultimately, it's just it becomes second nature, and um, you know, you're going to get complainers about everything but 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 
you know, do you want your tax, your taxes going up because the wastewater plant has to contend with your uh, single-use mm-hmm. plastic bags clogging up their system? I mean, it's- and that brings up a good question. I know, and I'm kind of going out of order because we want to talk about some of the the partnerships or, or groups that's been most successful for TerraCycle, mm-hmm. but. You know, not that I want to focus on the negative. Some of the challenges I was imagining, if you have like those complainers, like how hard is it? Say you have a program. I, I think you have one that recycles toothpaste tubes. Mm-hmm. How hard is it to get that end user to think that way to send those to you, um, or to to start thinking in a way like all of these things I can take care of and recycle? I just have to do it. Like, is that a mindset change? Is that a, a so, hurdle? So, you know, you, uh, like I mentioned, you have that three, that three percent that will do anything to recycle everything. And that's, that's, that's great. But how do you get it? I think your question is really, how do you get that to have mass appeal? Yeah. Right. And uh, you create incentives in the community, right. And th- with our free programs, we have these incentives and, you know, in terms of like the types of groups that are incredibly successful with, with TerraCycle programs, uh, I'll give you an example. We have school programs, okay. so we have we have free programs for um, that schools can utilize and set up bins in uh, you know in their uh, in their lobbies in their cafeterias for recycling things like toothpaste tubes, yeah. deodorant tubes, and then things that they use in the cafeteria like uh, the the, uh, the flexible drink pouches. Uh, the the flexible like the go go squeeze yeah. uh, pouches and things like that. So um, for 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 kids, for our school programs, they offer an opportunity for educators to um, to really, really bring recycling as a practical experience for, for, for kids. Um, so, you know, it, it is things that can be taught in the classroom in all kinds of disciplines. So in the science discipline, uh, teachers can use our programs to show, you know, how things are recycling, why they're recycled, um, why, why do we recycle things. In the art classes, you know, we will um, a lot of times our teachers at the elementary school level will work with kids to take um, to take uh, the trash that can be recycled through our programs and decorate bins, the tra- you know, boxes to make them into really elaborate bins. So you're showing, you know, but in all of this, you're getting kids to think about their consumption, right, and to think about um, about what they're putting out there in the environment. And uh, so we've been really successful in our school programs because it really, you know, it becomes a learning experience. And what's great is like here in New Jersey, we have pretty good municipal recycling programs. So kids are really accustomed to recycling from an early age. You know, most, most of our towns have those blue bins, you know, to separate the materials. Um, but 30% of the United States is a recycling desert. And it's surprising, like, you know, you expect those to be in, like, very rural areas. But we work with, like, suburban Chicago on programs. And, in, in you know, once you leave Chicago and go to the, some of these these ring suburbs, there are, there are suburbs there where there's no uh, curbside recycling. Mm-hmm. So these programs, by integrating these in the classroom, they, they not only serve to recycle the difficult-to-recycle things, which is great – but they also serve to get students, to get you know teachers, giving them the opportunity to teach lessons on recycling and get kids into a mindset that is necessary so that the next generation doesn't allow 
curb, our, our, our curbside, our easy stuff to go into landfill and incineration. So, um, you know, it's great working with schools and it's great working with, you know, with teachers and, uh, and, and students because this is not only increasing the recycling rate for those difficult recycling things, but it's developing a mindset that can, that can change a whole culture in communities that don't have any recycling. And the biggest way to change culture is education, yeah. you know, and then who better to start with than, than kids that will carry on that tradition. We, we talk about that with ecology and native plants all the time. Yeah. If you, if you want to really make a difference and teach a child, if, if you have this plant, it will attract this caterpillar. It'll turn into this butterfly. It makes a bigger difference than trying to mm-hmm. convince an adult that's been mowing their lawns their entire life no, to, to do that. No doubt. And <laughs> and you know, like I've I've heard success you know stories. I've heard from parents who've said, "Look, you know, my 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 kids are now the recycling police in the household, right? <laughs> yeah. And when I when I take that beer bottle and I put it in the regular trash, my kids correct me and say, and that's you know that's that's a great feeling for you know, uh, and it's very hard to to resist when your child says, you know, when your child teaches the parent to do the right thing. That's, you know, it's like that uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, you know, <laughs> song, you know, right? It's, it's like we can learn from our kids. And, and you know, it's, it sounds a little cliche, but it's, it, it's so true in the area of recycling and environmental change. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. That's wonderful. Stay tuned for more of the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. Welcome back to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Out of reading all the programs, the one that – you know, if we could just touch on, the one I found the most interesting was Tiniest Biome. And is that a partnership? So so we have – so, uh, you know, there there are different divisions of, uh, of, of TerraCycle, and I okay. mentioned, you know, our free programs. Yeah. Uh, and really, really quickly, I'll, I'll get to Tanya Smyon, but I yeah. just so I mentioned the brand sponsor yeah. programs, right, which are our free programs. And then for those waste streams that we don't have brand sponsors, we have programs where, where businesses and individuals can 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 purchase uh, what's called zero waste boxes to to recycling all different waste streams at their home or at their business. Um and uh, then we have kind of large scale freight based recycling where we work with manufacturers uh, and so forth to recycle really, really, you know, large volumes of items um, that would otherwise go into to landfill. Then we have a regulated waste division that's based in the Chicago area, which uh, works on recycling of those things that are required by law to be recycled, things like batteries, electronics, light bulbs, things like that. And then we have, um, I, I mentioned Loop, our division yeah. Loop. Um, we have a, um, I don't want to forget to mention uh, in Thailand, we have our, our, our foundation where we, um, where we work. We have a full-time staff of, uh, of employees there that set up river traps on the rivers and canals there that, oh, wow. that, that, that clean up uh, canal uh, plastic before, which is the source of most of our um, ocean-bound, um, our ocean plastics comes from canals and rivers, um, in, largely in, in certain areas of the global south. Uh, including Thailand. So this program uh, really works not only to capture that uh, canal and river plastic before it enters the ocean, but it, we also work to educate the communities there, which often don't have adequate means of, of, of waste disposal, mm-hmm. so that, you know, giving them alternatives to 
to throw their their waste into the canals and rivers. So those are kind of some of our divisions. And then that's, our div- that's wonderful. We see that it's the National Aquarium that has the is it it they have something that takes plastics out of the out of the yeah the, yeah yeah the, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I know the they're big working snail looking thing. I forget yeah. what it's called. Yeah, but they're working on something big, I think, for next year. So it, that should be interesting when that. Yeah, there's comes all up. kinds of really innovative river traps and yeah. and, and and ways of, of of addressing the the ocean, you know, ocean waste plastic. Yeah. Um, so um, you know, we TerraCycle. We try to get it at the source from the canals uh, in Thailand before they enter the ocean, uh, and then we have a uh, division called TerraCycle Discovery. Okay. And TerraCycle Discovery uh, TerraCycle Discovery focuses on doing innovative things with waste. So think about, you know, the things that we throw out that might be able to we, we might be able to diagnose issues. You know, think about and uh, you know, uh, examining an air filter in your furnace mm-hmm. yeah. and then finding, you know, what contaminants might mm-hmm. be in the air okay. and addressing those think about you know an air filter or, or an air filter or an oil filter in a car being able to you know diagnose you know what are what's going on in your oil in your car and mm-hmm. and and you know what what might be an issue there you know so we're working to to, to, to kind of use trash as a means of diag- yeah. diagnostics now tiny tiniest biome um, is a, a way uh, to do that you know, you think of like TerraCycle started off with worm poop. Well, yeah. now we're dealing with with baby poop, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, um, interested, you know, uh, parents of of newborn and young 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 babies and um, can essentially send in their poopy diapers, okay. and a lab will analyze the contents to see um, whether there are, there are any nutritional deficiencies or things um, or, or things you know in the the biome markers. Um, and and then make you know reports generate reports on that for the parents and share with them and advice on uh, you know this is a program that we do in collaboration with with uh, licensed uh, doctors nutritionists mm-hmm. and uh, and, a, and a PhD in I believe medical research that um, that allow us to offer this yeah. service. Gut, it's pretty pretty innovative. It's yeah. a gut biome is something that comes up probably once once every two months mm-hmm. <laughs> with us and we. You know, there was a study I think I found where they were saying if you were born in 1970, which is where I was born compared to being born today, how much less you would have to eat to maintain the same weight mm. because of difference in gut biomes mm. and preservatives. Yeah. And, and and again, talking about a product, you mentioned preservatives were created during, what was it, World War II? Yeah, yeah, a lot of By, the – Was it Monsanto? I don't remember those details, um, but a lot of our today's – uh, diet that we have was a product of World War II yeah. and nuclear apocalypse <laughs> happening. And hey, we need to go into a bunker and we need the stuff to last. It wow. wasn't like we just corporations came and just did this to do it. There was a reason they did it, and then it just happened to be that well, it's very, very shelf stopped. stable and there's no reason to stop. Um, Again, convenience. But it was and, the convenience, yeah, yeah. and but a lot of it was yeah. We may have to live underground like mole people for a while, yeah. <laughs> so we need this food to last. Where you look at like countries like Italy and France, yeah. just in Croatia, and where you go there today, it's a much fresher Fresh food yeah. Uh, yeah. diet that they have. Um, they didn't have that same. I don't want to say foresight because it's in hindsight, it's, it looks like a ne- it seems like it was a negative thing. Yeah. But even but, like, uh, even but it wasn't like people just. I guess what yeah. I was trying to point out is it wasn't like people just said, "Oh, this is what we're going to do to make a lot of money." It was we're doing this because we're in the Cold War and. Yeah. 
but not we're going to need this kind of stuff and not really like my my wife is from poland so it's just how she mm. grew up and the difference in oh, well this is how we eat i don't understand how this culture eats and when we were in croatia you, the first thing we did was go into a supermarket yeah. and there was no sliced bread it was all fresh bread mm. there the meats weren't like pre-packaged that they were slicing off yeah. it was it was all pre-sliced like which one do you want we'll package it in yeah. paper and, and you can go it was just a a big difference everywhere we went we started noticing the difference yeah and, and it all uh, comes yeah. down to really convenience yeah right? yeah and and you know you could you could save a few minutes in your food preparation <laughs> yeah. but you're yeah. not getting anything that's remotely as fresh and now mm-hmm. we now we understand that that affects our gut biome yes. that yeah. affects you know our, our our overall health, and you can see it. You know in uh, yeah in in our health yeah. statistics, statistics in our country versus versus other countries that still still yeah. eat fresh foods. Eat, and- even just fast food, like as a kid, there were like McDonald's existed, but we didn't go there. Oh no, you know it you a, it was a treat. Yeah, you right, got there yeah. like once a year. You know, like twice a year, or you know, there were a couple fast food places, but it wasn't something that was just that accepted. Like you didn't go there. Now it's just a part of every culture. Yeah. You can go to any any suburb and and think, you know, doesn't like they're indiscernible based on the main street with all the fast food mm-hmm. places. Right. right. Yeah. So it's but that's uh, I yeah I I saw that one. I was like, now that's innovative. Oh, <laughs> that's, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's you know it's a it's at a very reasonable price point. Um and um and it uh, yeah it's it's a very innovative program and it's part of our whole. TerraCycle discovery of doing all kinds of innovative things mm-hmm. with, with yes. waste and yeah. Awesome. So we, you know, obviously having a, a company where we're very cognizant of recycling and what we use and how we reuse it. What is your view on EPR, which is extended uh, producer responsibility, just in general, just like an overview, like what your thoughts are, or the company's thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, it. Uh, TerraCycle's programs are, for the most part, we engage uh, brands and, and, and manufacturers on a voluntary basis, you know, with, with the exception of, say, our regulated waste division where they're recycling things that, by law, cannot be disposed of in landfill uh, or incinerated. Um, you know, most of our programs are, are voluntary, and it, it's great that we are able to leverage the, the needs of of, uh, of brands and companies to uh, to. to, to to, you know, for their need for goodwill. Uh, but ultimately, really, you know, we, we need as a society more extended producer responsibility where the, you know, people uh, are uh, loath to allow the government to regulate things. But in this case, um, it, is, it is very necessary because the, the true cost of a consumer good that we buy, and, and look, we, we, are, we, are, we have cheap goods all around us. Uh, the, the 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 true cost is not reflected in the price we pay. The true cost is the price we pay plus, you know, the tail end to that is how do you resolve the waste from that product? You know, how do you resolve the pollution in the manufacture of the product? Um, and that cost is is borne by all of us consumers, but for the most part, not by the manufacturers, not by the brands. So it, it extended producer responsibility is really just um, taking that responsibility away from the consumers, away from the individuals that, that bear that cost, and put it back at the um, you know at those who manufactured the product mm-hmm. in the first place. And there are really good ways to do this. 
um, well thought out ways that are not that are not arbitrary or that place too much a burden on the manufacturers, um, but that are you know in scale with with what the actual you know you, you think of you think of for instance mattresses. Yeah. Um, you know, mattresses are big, bulky items. They have a, a lifespan, and at the end of the lifespan, they go into the landfill. And, and municipalities, essentially, uh, I believe it's roughly, you know, it, it costs a municipality $50 or so to deal with a single mattress, wow. right? Uh, now, thinking about, you know, between the, between the, you know, the, uh, the logistics of picking up the mattress at, at a consumer's house, uh, and then doing something with that, it takes up a lot of space in uh, landfill. Uh, so it, it costs roughly fifty dollars. Now think about that. So why why are the taxpayers paying that when that is a direct result of the manufacturer, right? So there there are instances where you know where um, there's legislation that's that's being that, that's either active or being proposed that will make the mass the mattress industry responsible. For uh, for that cost of disposal, yeah. either coming up with a solution for it that doesn't cost the taxpayer anything, or you know, mm-hmm. or, or 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 that um, or where the the uh, the manufacturer will compensate yeah. um, for that. Now that just makes logical sense. Like, why am I, well, you know, why am I paying for for somebody else's mattress yeah. as a taxpayer? So when we stop looking at regulation as a burden on 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 on, on society, and 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 when it's when it's implemented in a thoughtful way, when we see it as a, you know, as taking the burden away from the taxpayers, it can make a lot of sense. And, and that's where, you know, that's where, um, you know, extended producer responsibility is a good thing. The problem is in our political climate on a national mm-hmm. level, yeah. Yeah. you don't, we don't see it happening, yeah. uh, you know, in the near term. Well, it's yeah. interesting when, when you're faced with, with, resolving an issue what you're able to come up with especially when it affects multiple people in the in the nursery industry is not the same thing but you know trying to do away with peat moss knowing that uh we this is a product that needs to stop being used but how do you replace it it's, it's a integral ingredient in what everyone does so how do you do it? and then you start seeing products like uh what's the the paper oh uh, uh, there's pit uh, moss pit, pit moss recycled paper recycled paper product um, now they're using it's another uh, wood fiber product that's a, a byproduct of the lumber industry. Um, a lot of what we're the, yeah. the pine bark that we use already in the nursery industry is a byproduct of the lumber industry. This is like the finer stuff. They're some they're doing some process to it and turning it into what used to have been disposed of. I guess mm-hmm. is now able to be like a peat moss replacement, mm-hmm. and then. Um, Going back to the extended producer responsibility, one of the things that's uh, been talked about here in New Jersey is that happening, well, I guess happening in New Jersey, and we're looking at it from a, a nursery perspective, where we it would fall onto us is with nursery pots, which is kind of like the big black eye on the, the nursery industry as a whole is uh, we're doing, we're growing all this good stuff and, and putting green things out in the world, but we're using a lot of plastic to get there. And again, it ends up a lot of times being single-use plastic right. because it goes to the consumer and we don't get it back. Uh, some of the stuff that's been talked about in New Jersey is actually we put, making a program where we would take that back and then have to find a, a – or offer to take it back and find another use for it, mm-hmm. which is daunting for us to think yeah. about yeah. because we're used to growing plants and not, yeah. not thinking about ways to <laughs> not thinking re- of recycle lo- logistics of, uh, of but uh yeah. but i've actually seen some of the the plastic nursery pot manufacturers 
are creating programs now where they will take their their products back. back right. They won't take other people's other, products back, right. but they'll take their products back. Um, and that's a way to kind of leverage. Uh, it's a good thing yeah. that they're doing, but it's also a way to, to gain some business because, oh, now I'm not going to go and get some from here and some from there, and yeah. I'm going to get it all from you because I know oh, I can yeah, send it all back sure. if I have to. Sure. But, um, yeah, that's just one of the things that, like, ear to the ground, we can kind of hear is coming, and, uh, and it's we're like not a, sure and what it, to do yet. And it's yeah. not like this is something that may happen. It's This is happening. <clears throat> Yes. It just hasn't happened yet, and you'll yeah. probably have a good 10 years to figure it out. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah. that is daunting. But yeah. in a way, if you're forced to do it and everyone – we're all in this issue. So if we all work on it together, maybe there's a way that you can come up yeah. with like yeah, one that, place where the, all the pots go and they get redistributed back yeah, out. And or that's – uh, you know, when you think of extended producer responsibility, one, one thing, if, you, if, if it's done on a national level, mm-hmm. you know, it, it puts everybody on the, the same yeah. Playing yep. field, yeah. and it and it puts it doesn't advantage certain manufacturers over the other, and it and it and it it requires the industry as a whole mm-hmm. to come up yeah. with with, yep. with solutions. So again, it it, it can be a, a very on, good thing, on, and, and on. it's and it's needed yeah. in, in, yeah. in many areas. If it were national, that'd be great. What makes it tough is nursery products tend to be cheaper coming from the south, yeah. so if this adds more cost on the front end to the plant material. There's an opportunity for other people to say, oh, I'm just going to get it from Georgia. But yeah. And not to get too off, yeah. but the, the thing with that, though, is if they get them from Georgia, they don't have a place they can go send the pots back. That's true. And a lot that's a big thing for a lot of the yeah. landscapers is they're, they don't want to be saddled with the trash either. The, yeah. we, the amount of calls we get They'd back. They'd rather bring saying, them back. Hey, can yeah. we bring these back? But we don't really have a, a right. use for them. So, um, but it's hard for it's a hard thing for us to tackle on our own. Yeah. And that's where I think the leg- yeah. like legislation yeah. regulation you know, does a good thing because it kind of sets everyone right. on the same playing field. It creates a demand for uh, an outside player to come in and kind of say, "Hey, I'm going to be that central hub. Right. That's I'm going to take everything and then redistribute it in the way that works." Yeah, mm. yeah, uh, and and it's interesting. Like like TerraCycle, yeah. Would be able to come up with the solutions if mm-hmm. we already yeah. don't have them yeah. for the recycling. But if, again, there's a cost associated with it. Now, yep. does that cost come from individual you know, yeah. wholesalers or landscapers, mm-hmm. or does that come from the industry as, yeah. as a as a whole? Yeah. Right? Yep. Uh, it's got to come from somewhere because the bottom line is mm-hmm. like to recycle something like these these pots yeah. uh, is not the, the the end value of the material yeah. is not going to cover the costs. Mm-hmm. So, and I well, think, but if you think about yeah. what we spend on pots every year, like you'd have to weigh that against what it what it would cost to have those yeah. cleaned and and brought back to you. Maybe it maybe it's not that bad. Yeah, you're talking about some kind of re, reuse, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. reuse, yeah, yep. mechanism. That and I means, should yeah. clarify too. This isn't this is the legislation I've seen isn't just for nurseries. It's, it's for anyone average, yeah. who sells a, a yeah. plastic container. So whether it's it's uh, hand lotion, soda, anything, they have to have some kind of program in place, whether it's something they do themselves or it's a, a third party or, or a national company is coming to do it. Um, they have to have something in place. It hasn't passed yet, but it's I know I know where we live, <laughs> and it's it's one of those things that's probably going to happen um, in the probably sooner than later, I would guess. But but I, and I think it's. As it happens here in New Jersey, and I think it's already happened in California and New York, um, eventually it's going to trickle its way across the rest of the country. It, um, it, oh, this is this kind yeah. of you know more progressive yeah. consumer uh, and, and 
EPR legislation yeah. tends to tends to hover around the coasts, and mm-hmm. and, yep. and you know yep. it, it doesn't necessarily hit all of yeah. all of the country, and that's you know that's a shame uh, because you know done right, it, yeah. It, it would, yeah, oh yeah, solve a lot of problems. Yeah, oh definitely. But I like the fact that we kind of all have to figure it out collectively, mm-hmm. which is probably going to produce a better solution yeah. than if we each had exactly. to figure it out on our own. Yeah, it's something I'm actually. It's like I said, it's daunting, but it's something I'm looking forward to in a yeah. sense because it does it's a better alternative than what we're already doing right. it's just it's hard to to buckle up and just do it um on your own sometimes now what i would like to see is these and i guess maybe this is a pipe dream but you have the nursery pot producers so if this happens and it is reused mm-hmm. that's going to be a significant buckle in their business yeah. i would love to see them take the lead find a way Oh, maybe we can do this, and this yeah. this will transition to our new business. And one of the producers already has; yeah. Yeah. they already started a program because I, we're, New Jersey's not the first state to talk about that. Um, there's other states that already have it in effect, and so they've already started a, a program. I forget which producer it is, but uh, there's a pot producer out there that's already started a program where they'll actually take back the pot, and they have uh, centralized collection locations. I'm pretty sure. I just saw a news release on it. I read, I skimmed it real quick and uh, (laughs) moved on because it's not a company we work work with or or plan on working with. Uh, Although I do like that program. Yeah. So that's pretty awesome. So over the course of 20 years, TerraCycle has really changed in in a great way because it's it's grown and it's it's created all these things. What's the future? What's the next twenty years for TerraCycle? So uh, I I think the next twenty years is going to be is going to be Loop. Okay. I think you know we, we definitely there's a, there's a need to uh, there will always be a need for recycling at, at some level uh, and difficult you know and especially with difficult to re, difficult to recycle um, materials, but loop loop is our future. Okay, um, it, it really is. You know we we um, we're we're in a in a place in our society where there's just um, there's just no there's there's no way to uh, deal with the waste crisis without taking a, uh, a long, hard look at reuse. Yeah. And uh, so it's loop and those types of things that are, uh, that are our future. One of the things I kind of, I made a notice of going to like a big wholesale club um, that, you know, they can easily say these things are horrible because you're buying way more than you need. But in a lot of respects, I love seeing the products where it's, you maybe have a container at home and you can buy a big box and just keep refilling that container mm-hmm. and it's it's less weight like oxyclean like you may have that small container at home but you can buy a box in recyclable cardboard and just fill it as you need it and then you, it's less waste so i love seeing that kind of thing just it's something that maybe might go unnoticed but i've yeah. noticed more and more of that and, as well and i think that's that's good if it's done right the problem is you know it, you see that a lot with Say detergents and things that are utilizing flexible packaging as the refill option, yeah. right? Uh, and flexible. The, the trouble is, whereas uh, you know uh, a uh, a detergent bottle may be recycled when you're going when you're refilling it from a flexible packaging, yeah. that that flexible packaging may not be uh-huh. curbside recyclable. So it's you know there are things that have good intentions. Uh, or that you know look good from a consumer perspective that may not be as good as they you know yeah. they, they fall now, short. There, there, yeah. there are there are manufacturers, there are brands that will do that, but then 
they work through TerraCycle, for instance, where uh, they make those flexible packaging oh, okay. recyclable through TerraCycle programs because we have that capability to do that. Awesome. But it's not necessarily something that's that's curbside recyclable. <laughs> yeah. So that's why there are challenges. But if you're talking about if they're utilizing like a, a, a cardboard yeah. uh, as they're, uh, for those containers, then, then those should be curbside recyclable I, in most places. Like I, I laugh at some of them. Like I've seen the uh, like the hand soap and – they're in that plastic container, and then you can get just the refills in a bigger plastic container. <laughs> and I'm like, well, is that really – like how much did you save with that? Like those are yeah. the, the ones I kind of chuckle at. But yeah. Yeah. like when I saw the cardboard box, I'm like, all right, that I that I can get behind. <laughs> so um, so you mentioned you had only – you've only been at TerraCycle for a few years. What, what led you – what was your journey – to TerraCycle and well, recycling because you're, you're very passionate and very well-versed, and I love hearing that, and I'm always interested. I, I can – it's always funny that people that are passionate about something tend to find it at some point, point. Yeah. and it's like it seems a perfect match for you. Yeah. What? How did you get there? It's a, Yeah, it's a journey. It yeah. It's a journey finding it, and I, you know, I mentioned I, uh, earlier about how I first learned about TerraCycle a decade ago. When my wife came home with those Capri Sun <laughs> packets, um, so you know that's when I kind of had you know TerraCycle on my radar, um, okay. and thought maybe one day it'll be uh, you know it'll be a good fit. But I went through you know, like my my background is I you know I I I went to to college at Rutgers and then okay. I studied law and I I actually practiced law. I I, I was a litigator for. Uh, a, 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 a portion of my life, I, I burnt out from that really fast. It wasn't a good fit. I, I'm, I, I see myself as somebody who uh, excels at building bridges and building relationships. And as a litigator, it was all about destroying, uh, you know, destroying, knocking bridges down, and destroying relationships. So, um, so eventually, I left and I, I practiced uh, other law in other areas and more transactional areas. Uh, and then I, I, I found myself over over many years working in, in um, business development and community development, um, where I kind of uh, got to utilize my, my, my passions for, for building relationships. Uh, prior to the pandemic, I was I was I was earning a paycheck working in a in a field that I really wasn't very passionate about. It paid well, um, but I, I I wasn't really aligned with yeah. with what the company was doing and. Um, and, and during, during the pandemic, I kind of reassessed and, uh, that's when I decided that it was, it was time to make a, a change. And, um, and, uh, around that time is when I saw that, um, TerraCycle was looking for somebody, um, to, to head their, uh, community development team and, uh, and the rest is history. So, so, but your community outreach spans beyond TerraCycle. You were mentioning earlier the, the Garden State Film Festival. Yeah, so uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, you mentioned passion, right? And I, I am very passionate about what I'm doing at TerraCycle, and I, I've I've kind of de- I, I determined that you know, it, it, earning a paycheck is 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 not a, enough. It's uh, you know, it, it, it's nice, but it, you you have to be passionate about what you're doing. So I, you know, as uh, on a volunteer level, you know, prior to prior to uh, joining TerraCycle, and 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 now still after, I, I I've been involved in a, in a number of um, a number of organizations that, that where I, I find that passion, and one is the the Garden State um, Film Festival. So I uh, I chair our, our phenomenal board. Um, we are we're a festival. We, we, we're based in uh, Asbury Park, and we do an annual um, 
annual, uh, our big festival is every late March every year in Asbury Park. And then we have satellite um, satellite showings around around the state and around the region. Uh, but we bring in filmmakers from, from all across the globe for this event. We're really, uh, we're the largest film festival in New Jersey. And, um, and we, um, we have an emphasis. We have film blocks on environmental and sustainability oh, awesome. films, um, which is one of, one of the things I really love. We, we, we profile uh, the work of both, uh, you know, student filmmakers and, and very established professional filmmakers uh, on all kinds of topics and all kinds of, uh, you know, in addition to kind of narrative and, and pure entertainment, we deal with a lot of very controversial issues and, and issues relating to the environment and climate change. And uh, I, I love being part of that. And I would say, you know, as, as a plug, we, we, we currently have a call for entries for, for next year's festival. So if there are any uh, filmmakers out there that are doing something on, on any topic, but I, I imagine for this audience, anything relating to the climate, sustainability, environment, ecology, um, gardening, anything of that sort, um, please uh, visit visit the uh, Garden State Film Festival's website at gsff.org. Awesome. And, uh, and you'll find the information on our call for entries. And also, uh, you know, you'll anybody who just wants to attend um, next next year in Asbury Park in March, you'll you'll see all the details. So save, awesome. save the date. We will put the links in mm-hmm. the show notes as well. Excellent. So and Excellent. and obviously we're going to put all the TerraCycle uh, links in the show Super. notes because we're going to get asked by our listeners how they can get involved. So what are some of the best? Like I noticed, uh, you can volunteer to be a like a public drop off point for yes. certain. Part. Like how yeah. can our how can our listeners get involved so in this problem? This is a great question because the TerraCycle e- exists because we have a public uh, that's interested in, in participating in our in our programs. And TerraCycle has, uh, and these are the programs that that my team really is in charge of on the on the collector recycler side. And these are our free programs. We have dozens and dozens of, of programs for all different um, all different waste streams, where you as a member of the public can. You know, work with your local municipality, work with your library, your community center, YMCA, church, synagogue, mosque, and you can get them to, to set up, um, you know, just simple bins, bo- repurposed boxes um, for for these different programs. You could select, you can join all the programs, you can join a few, whatever whatever makes sense for you, uh, and and start collecting. And then the mechanism is is very easy. Once you have a meaningful amount of materials for any of these waste streams that you've collected, you simply, um, right from uh, the account that you set up for free, mm-hmm. and all this in the free program, everything's free, um, you, you just set up a, an account on uh, the TerraCycle website, which takes all but five minutes. And then any you join whatever program, so whatever materials that you want to collect for. And then when you're ready to, to, sh- to ship them for, to us for recycling, you generate a free UPS label, you request it right from the website. It winds up in your email box in about 10 seconds. You slap the label on on, on the box. You can ship up to mm-hmm. 70 pounds oh, wow. with, one, cool. with one label, but you can request as many labels for each waste stream as you need. Wow. It comes to our, our MRF, our, our, our sorting facility. We weigh and scan it um, for each waste stream that you're shipping. So you could see right from, um, right from the um, dashboard on our website how much – you or your organization or your school or your church, synagogue, mosque, YMCA, so forth, um, how much you've collected and recycled with us and diverted from 
landfill or incineration over time. And the best part is for most of these programs, there's a charity, there's a fundraising component. Mm. So a dollar per pound that you ship to us for recycling, um, you earn what's called TerraCycle points. A dollar per pound can go to any nonprofit of your choice. Oh, that's awesome. So um, if you are a nonprofit, you know, uh, whether it's a religious organization, a school, or, you know, an NGO, or just a small community organization, um, you can allocate those points back to yourself, and then twice a year you get a check. Um, you know, it beats, mm-hmm. it beats, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. it beats uh, relying on the bake sales. And there are, <laughs> there are schools that, you know, often schools will participate through PTAs or municipalities will mm-hmm. participate through their green teams. Um, it, there, some of, some of these organizations will raise lots of money to date, um, TerraCycle programs worldwide. We've raised $45 million wow. for schools and nonprofits of all shapes and sizes through these programs. There are individual schools that raise thousands of dollars every year in these programs just for, you know, we're not asking anybody to send in a check. You just send us your trash and then you get these points. So it's like cash, cash for trash. So they're remarkable programs, very easy and turnkey to get involved in. There's never any minimums in terms of, you know, how much you need to commit to collecting and recycling in order to participate. So it's whatever works for you. We work with, you know, all kinds of individuals, um, schools, you know, all the way up to uh, private businesses at a high level, like Amazon facilities, for instance, participate in our programs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so but it, it, you know, from the smallest school to the largest corporation, um, there's a place for for participating in TerraCycles free programs all, all you know all over. The- it's hard not to get excited. Oh, hearing yeah, about this. You can hear it, can hear it in my voice. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. I, oh yeah. Yeah, it's contagious. It's yeah. contagious. Yeah. So we we've hit the point where we. We're at our last question, mm-hmm. and we, we typically always ask the same last question, but we kind of altered it. Instead of asking what your favorite native plant is, we were curious what your favorite product to recycle. So out of all these programs over the years, what is the one that that gets you the most excited? That's an easy one for me. All right. Okay. So um, it's, um, it's our cigarette butt mm-hmm. recycling program, right. and this is – very, very, a very interesting program. I'm, I'm really excited. Like, I can't tell you how much it, every time I see one on the street, it bothers me. Yeah. So just to hear this, I'm like, I need to, I've been waiting patiently to hear yeah. about this. So, um, you know, kind of the, the background on this, C- cigarette butts are the most littered item on the planet mm-hmm. by far. Um, if you engage in any kind of, you know, beach cleanup, park cleanup, community cleanup, 80% by unit of what you're going to pick up off the, the streets, off the grounds, off the out of the sand, 80% is going to be cigarette butts. Wow. Cigarette butts, there's, there's, um, you know, there, there's, there's a feeling or a sense maybe among smokers and even non-smokers that it's, that they're inert, that they'll somehow biodegrade. Yeah. They are not, they're the farthest, farthest thing from wow. it. Um, cigarette butts are, uh, cigarette filters are composed out of a type of plastic, a pretty nasty plastic called cellulose acetate. It is a uh, it's a fireproof, fire resistant plastic that absorbs all the toxins from the cigarette smoke. And when it's disposed of improperly, it persists in the environment for decades. Um, and it it doesn't just sit there. You know, often it doesn't just sit there on in a parking lot or in a uh, in the dirt. It will through storm storm drains and through rain and runoff. It will wind up in our water systems, in our rivers, our streams. 
in our ocean from the beach. Uh, and it, uh, one cigarette butt renders a gallon of water lifeless. So when you think of the hundreds of millions of cigarette butts that are, that are all over the place now, you, you can think of you know how much of a detriment wow. they are to our environment and our ecology. Um, so uh, 10 years ago, given this, this history, given this background uh, on, on, on cigarette litter and the problem, um, we challenged our material scientists to come up with a solution for how do we recycle cigarette butts uh, and in so doing, how do we help keep them off of the street? How do we keep them out of landfill and incineration? Those for those that are disposed of properly, and 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 give the material a, a second life. Uh, our material scientists, who are just remarkable, came up with a uh, proprietary process for mechanically uh, recycling the cigarette ba- wow. waste. And what they do is, first of all, it goes through a separation. So the organic components of the cigarette. So that's your rolling paper. Your residual ash and tobacco is commercially composted. Mm-hmm. Okay. The actual plastic, the cigarette butts, are sanitized and then go through a multi-step process uh, and are then powderized. That powder can be, uh, through extrusion, can be pelletized, uh, and it goes into the manufacture of, of new products, giving it a, 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 a really a whole new life. So mm. the most common things that we create out of cigarette litter is uh, outdoor furniture, so think yeah. park benches, yeah. picnic oh, tables. Wow. Um, uh, tool handles, so mm-hmm. so uh, so agricultural tool handles and so forth, uh, gardening tool handles, yeah. um, composite lumber um, uh, for for decking and so forth, and um, and then uh, commercial pallets. So mm-hmm. those are kind of some of the the things that we make out of cigarette yeah. litter. Yeah. So participation in this program is is absolutely free. Um, you can um, you can set up you can work with communities with with your local municipality to set up um, to, to set up uh, recycling um, or to, to set up uh, cigarette receptacles. You know you can use you don't have to purchase our receptacles. You can use any existing collection infrastructure like you see on boardwalks mm-hmm. and in downtown main streets. You simply collect cigarette um, litter, litter from those receptacles and from from the ground through your beach cleanups. It doesn't have to be fresh, brand-new yeah. cigarette litter. Yeah. It could be stuff that's been sitting there for, for years. You, you, you collect it through litter cleanups, bag it up real tightly, throw it in a, a box. We always encourage using repurposed boxes. Slap on a free UPS shipping label, send it to us, uh, and we recycle it. And you can track over, over time how much you recycled yeah. as part of this program, a dollar per pound, uh, goes to our uh, our charity partner, uh, the amazing folks at Keep America Beautiful, which uses that funding to further their cigarette litter mm-hmm. cleanup activities. So it's kind of circular. Uh, and to date, we've we've recycled. Uh, this program is in both the U.S. and, and Canada. To date, in the U.S., we've recycled um, a quarter billion. That's billion with a B cigarette butts, uh, which wow. you can imagine. Wow. You know how much room that will take up. And um, and we're you know we're on target towards our goal. Our goal is to reach a half billion by the end of 2025. Mm-hmm. So this is an exciting program. It's making a difference not only recycling but from litter prevention, yeah. litter wow. mitigation. We work with partners ranging from like I mentioned Amazon facilities to like in in Pennsylvania, uh, the Pennsylvania the the, the DEP and mm-hmm. PennDOT are are involved in this program at other uh-huh. welcome centers, the highway welcome centers and parks. Um, anybody. You know, that's, you know, uh, Joe and Jane from the street can participate in this program, work with local businesses, set up receptacles up front uh, of bars, restaurants, main streets, and uh, and just, you know, 
from receptacles and from their local cleanups send this waste in um, it is an amazing, amazing yeah, program. Wow. That, yeah. that, that number blows my mind because we've talked – like as a kid growing up in the 70s, everyone smoked. Yeah. And it's not something you see that often anymore. I'm not saying it doesn't occur, but you don't – it's not as – like normal to see as it was decades ago yeah. and the, the fact that that amount what has been collected yeah i mean recycled. rates of smoking have been going down pretty pretty consistently um but yet cigarette litter persists and yeah. it, i think it's it's largely because um you know uh, smoke smokers view it as inert i don't mm-hmm. think they're consciously saying i'm going to pollute here. yeah but they they, they, they they think you know maybe a cigarette litter is some kind of uh, yeah. butts or cotton or something yeah, like it. yeah it's going and, back and, to and, the you know, yeah it's going back to the earth <laughs> it goes, it's going back to earth but it's funny you know and like I, I mentioned my involvement in the Garden State Film Festival one thing was like if you look at all the old films you know from the fifties and sixties and seventies there was a lot of smoking going on mm. in films but when you looked at there was all there, there were so many famous scenes in the movies where the smoker will then flick the cigarette <laughs> yeah. but on the ground yep. and it's it's become kind of socially acceptable through our our popular culture mm-hmm. to just drop cigarette mm-hmm. litter on the ground chuck it out the window of a car and so yeah. forth uh, and but we have to kind of educate that this is no this is not good this yeah. is you know you're yeah. you're you're, yeah. you're killing our environment it winds up in the waters and it's killing, you know, it's killing aquatic life. And uh, there you go. You know? That's yeah. a film idea for some budding ecologist uh, uh, <laughs> um, that wants to put a film together <laughs> yeah. about cigarette buds and 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 raise awareness. That would be fantastic Absolutely. entry for the Garden State Film Festival. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, so we we always end the show with final thoughts, and this is where we hand it over to you. Tom and I will take a turn, also, but. Um, we kind of hand you the floor, and if you can use the time however you want. If you want to summarize, promote something, uh, talk about something we didn't discuss, now is your time. I, I appreciate it, and I really thank you guys for the uh, the opportunity to be here today. Yeah. It's really been a, a pleasure chatting with you and uh, and and reaching out to uh, to your audience. Um, you know, I would say you know recycling as an issue, the waste crisis as an issue. You know, it, it, we we hear we hear it in the news every day. Um, there's a lot of mixed messages from from the media. You know, we, we hear things, uh, you know, such as, you know, such as things that are being thrown into your blue bin aren't recycled. So why bother? You know, and the fact of the matter is, you know, they are being recycled. They might not be recycled at the rate that we, we as a society need them to be recycled mm-hmm. at. But by by creating that messaging, that that why bother attitude among consumers, it, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. Uh, if you're being told not to even bother sorting your yeah. recyclables, then why are you going to do it? Which is going to mean, in turn, there's going to be even less materials uh, to be recycled mm-hmm. for those municipalities that that are doing a great job with, it, and many, many are. So my 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 really my my thought, to, and, and what I want to express to everyone is keep doing it. You know, when mm-hmm. you're talking about your curbside recyclables, keep doing it. Okay, there are challenges in the system. There are challenges in the infrastructure. But without you keep, you know, if, if, if we don't get that, then we're, we're not going to come, you know, we're, we're going to get, we're going to get farther from the solution rather closer. Uh, a lot of consumer brands have signed on to the uh, Ellen MacArthur Foundation's pledge um, to drastically increase rates of recycling by 2020, uh, by 2030. And we need to get there. And we need, uh, and right now, there's not enough material out there to even get there recycle materials so we need everybody to keep doing what they're doing 
to, to keep recycling, keep separating. And, you know, Terra Cycles programs, um, you know, the difficult to recycle stuff plays plays a huge part in that. You know, we're, we're working to help make things that aren't traditionally recyclable, recyclable. And, um, you know, and the more people that participate in these programs, the more the consumer brands are going to see, wow, I really, you know, they're going to see, I really need to develop a program to make sure that my products can be recycled. Yeah. So you're you're not only doing something physically, but you're sending a message to the consumer brands and you're increasing, you know, by, by doing this, you're going to increase rates of participation by the brands that will need to fund um, the recycling of the, the waste streams that they've created. Mm-hmm. So um, this is very, very meaningful. Um, oh, yeah. It is, you know. I'm very passionate about it, as you can hear, as you can see from my hear from my voice. Um, but it's something that we all need to play play a part in, and um, you know that we, we hear a lot of doom and gloom. Um, there are challenges ahead, but but we can get there collectively. Uh, you know, as a society, if we each make that little effort that's needed to mm-hmm. uh, to get there, you know, it requires awesome. a little bit of effort by a lot of people, and and we can get there. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, would, would you? Like yeah, to my, mine was actually in a, a similar message that it, same kind of concept. You hear so much like it goes in the blue bin and then it ends up in the the landfill anyway, but that doesn't mean you should just throw it in the trash can because if it goes in the blue bin, there's a chance it's going to end up in the right place. Really if you chance. don't, there's, a really there's good a, chance, it's, yeah. it's not. So, and then um, especially in New Jersey, there's a really yeah, good chance. Yeah, yeah, and then also uh, it's thinking about those reusable containers. Um, a lot of people have gotten on the whole, oh, I got mine here, the whole like reusable, uh, mug kick with the Yetis and all that. Uh, it's not as effective if you're taking a water bottle and pouring it into the <laughs> water I'm pouring into the, it's all, it works better when you use tap water, but think about those reusable containers and the, yeah, and, and absolutely. And when you, you know, when you go to your Starbucks, when you go to your, mm-hmm. your, your, your coffee shops, bring your reusable yep, mug exactly. and say, Hey, just fill it up here, yeah. you know? And, um, you know, that, that does make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. you know, and, and the more people that do it, the more exactly. you know, your brands like Starbucks are going to recognize that, you know, people are, you know, mm-hmm. and then they're going to start coming up with their own solutions, yeah. which they've been talking about for many years, but have never gotten yeah. off the ground. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, first of all, I would like to say, Thank you to both you and TerraCycle for the innovative work that you're yeah. doing and for the education and outreach and awareness that goes along with this to raise awareness. And that's what we're hoping to do with today's podcast. It's planting native plants is fantastic, but it doesn't solve all the problems. There's there's a lot of issues, and it takes a part in all of these to, to make a better planet. That's the healthy planet part of this. So um, I'm, I'm so thankful for the work that you do and – I hope this hits our listeners in a way if they weren't aware of some of these things of, of another way to to think about it and to be involved and be a part of it. And it's 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 hard not to want to do that after hearing your passion, you know, and and being like you start thinking, it's like why 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 haven't I done this? Like why why aren't we doing this? You know that type of thing. So I really appreciate it, and I also just want to comment how nice it was to have an in get or in house. Yeah, in person guest. In person yeah. guest. We don't get to do this. Is only maybe the fifth time, yeah. sixth time yeah. in well, really, 170 episodes. So <laughs> yeah. it's my pleasure being here. I mean, I work just up the road in Trenton, so yeah. it, it, it makes sense for me to stop by oh, here. Yeah. And I, I also want to extend, like, like if uh, please leave, um, you can leave my, my email address okay. 
on on your uh, your show notes. I, if anybody has any questions, any issues, if they want to help facilitate, you know, getting getting a uh, an organization or, mm-hmm. or a community on board, please reach out to me. Please awesome. email me. Um, <coughs> you know, I I'm, I'm happy. Me or somebody from my team will will respond. It might take a little little while sometimes, but mm-hmm. um, but please don't hesitate mm-hmm. to reach out. Yeah. And, awesome, and become part of part of what we're doing we will do that we will do that all right i think that just about wraps us up yeah so that's going to wrap us up thank you for joining us today we hope you enjoyed listening to eric ascalon of TerraCycle. for more information you can visit their website which is www.terracycle.com thank you everyone for listening native plants healthy planet presented by pounds nursery a huge thank you to the egocentric plastic men for contributing our theme music that's interesting fran yeah the the, egocentric plastic men there you go how's that that for uh And also, thank you to Dave Bennett for our Native Plant Anthem. You can follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at uh, Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet, or at Pinelands Nursery, and Facebook at Pinelands Nursery. Oh, I already said that. How about YouTube at Pinelands Nursery? Uh, don't forget about the question and comment line. We've had a bunch of calls while Tom and I were away on vacation. You can call us at 215-346-6189. I will repeat that, 215-346-6189. You can ask a question or leave a comment, and we'll do our best to play it on a future episode of The Buzz. And let's not forget the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group, which just keeps growing by leaps and bounds. And uh, I appreciate the community and the kindness that has been going over there as of late. Yeah, so you can get Native Plants Healthy Planet merch at our website, www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. Uh, there's a link right at the top take you to, take, takes you to our Teespring store and uh, have a whole bunch of different designs up there, and uh, and you can choose. And we don't keep any of the money for that. That all goes to uh, some of the nonprofits that, that we think are doing really good work, which we just gave, made our last donation last week last week yes so, good reminder friend for for <laughs> already have it in there already episode. have it in there <laughs> right. and uh you can listen to native plants healthy planet uh on apple podcast spotify stitcher really wherever you consume your podcast uh do us a favor leave us a five-star review and hit subscribe those go a really long way and if you do a little write-up with that five-star review i will give you a shout out on one of our buzz episodes and and from your last call a lot of people oh yeah have done that yeah, I, we can't thank yeah, you really appreciate you have that. a lot of thank yous to, yes i do so. or or you've done <laughs> well i have one more today and that is thank you everyone i'm tom and i am fran thank you again everyone uh coming up next week we will have a brand new buzz episode so make sure you tune in and until then keep it native
Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planted Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.